Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. A tiny bit of admin before I bring Joe in. Uh, We have on Sunday night, live at 8pm, our preview and prediction show, because races are just around the corner. I'm so excited I could burst. And how you can get involved with Missed Apex? Well, we have our iRacing final on Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. You can find out who took the title. Was it the aggressive David Hatton or the cool as a cucumber Sam Harper? Ice versus fire over on our iRacing channel. And you can get involved with our assault on the official iRacing leagues as well. Email spannersready at gmail.com and use the subject line map racing and we'll get you involved in that. But without further ado, let's bring in the man himself, the man who's been to every Grand Prix since 1988. It's Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Yeah, that record's going to go bust soon, I fear. Ah, well, that brings us to our first question. I I asked people on Twitter what they wanted to ask you, Joe, and everybody is wondering, uh, Lord Nuker included, will Joe get access to the track, or is it just Sky, uh, who uh, who isn't F1, that will be allowed inside the gates? So are you going, and what kind of access do you get? Are you allowed to say? Yes, I'm going, and uh, the access is negative. Basically, the access is to the press room, um, there will be an additional amount of information available to those in the press. There are apparently only 10 written journalists, written uh, 
press journalist going to the first race. So um, they will get a little bit more than everybody else. Otherwise, there's no point in being there at all. Uh, but there is no access allowed to the paddock. And we have to sign all kinds of contracts and things um, to say that we won't mix with the wrong people between races and all this sort of stuff. So basically, we're not allowed to go to meet anybody. They're all supposed to stay in these little mini bubbles that everyone's talking about. And we're supposed to stay in our own mini bubble, which is outside um, the paddock bubble. So basically, uh, I'll do the first three races. And afterwards, um, if the restrictions are still in place, I will not be there. So Silverstone, I'm not going to be there unless um, they increase the number of media allowed because they'll allow a second uh, wave of 10 new media. I mean, if you, if you consider there are 300 permanent pass holders, yeah. having only 10 is quite dramatic um, increase. And obviously, we're only being allowed in um, – yeah, the TV is allowed in because they will pay money, aren't they? Yeah. You know? So uh, we're just a pain in the neck. And uh, so we'll just be, I don't know how they're going to control things at a place like Silverstone, where the press office is actually next door to the paddock, or you have to go through the paddock to get to the, well, you, I dare say there's a way around that. But in Austria, it's on the wrong side of the track. So if they shut the tunnel, you cannot actually go to the paddock. Um, and even if you tried, they wouldn't let you in. So, And I should add on top of that, I say I'm going, but I'm only going if I pass the uh, COVID test, which I'm taking on Monday has to be done 94 hours, I think it's 94, maybe it's 96, before arriving at the racetrack to prove that I'm clear. Well, how are you feeling? You feeling a bit peaky? And uh, I feel fine, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, and then I'll do the two Austrias, go to Budapest, um, and then go home. And basically, I'm going to do it all by car, because it's the safest way of doing it. I don't go anywhere near an airport for a while. Um, but the way things are going in Formula One at the moment, we won't be seeing very many airports at all this year. Um, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if the first three races are the only three races I do, to be honest, because I think the way things are going, I don't think there'll be any racing in America, in the Americas. I think Brazil, Mexico, Austin, they've all got sufficient problems. I know the Americans are very blasé about all this sort of stuff, but um, that's why they have such a big number of dead people. But, um, you know, I think that Formula One is a little bit more... Um, aware of the yeah. world around and what the responsibilities are. And uh, so won't be, um, I don't see us going there. I don't see it. We've already had all the cancellations. So there's maybe China, uh, Russia is possible. I think they'll try for more races in Europe because it's easier, uh, which is, and the further south in Europe, the later you can go in the year. So this is why we're hearing stories. Mugello, I think, is just to keep Ferrari happy <laughs> because they're obviously not happy with two Red Bull rings and two Silverstones because they think that plays to other teams. Um, so Mugello is their test track. And yeah. Therefore, if they can't win there, they're not doing very well. Um, so how serious and, is Mugello? Because we've got loads of people asking no, about I that. No, I think Mugello is quite serious. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. They I go mean, there, there's no, they, it won't be with a crowd. I, mean, I, I don't suppose it'll be with a crowd because Mugello's in the middle of nowhere, um, even more so than Silverstone probably. It's a long way. It's 25 miles from the nearest big city, you know. Um, it's like Manicure uh, in that respect. So accommodation is you're going to have to be traveling long distances and, and blah, blah, blah. So I think um, that that will have to be without a crowd, although they are talking having a crowd at Monza, so I don't know. I think the other one to watch out for is Portimao in Portugal, um, which is a, a nice little track. I actually went there um, one time, 
for the life of me. I, can't, I, I actually I went there because they said, will you, will you come and have a look at it? Um, because we want to promote it. And yeah. I said, you want to pay the airfare? I'll come look at it. And they did. <laughs> so I went. Um, and it's a great little track. And uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's up a, a one road so they can close it off. They won't, I doubt they'll have spectators allowed in. But it will be returning uh, Formula One to Portugal. And, you know, we used to have Grand Prix down in, I mean, that's Portimao's right in the south of Portugal, so the Algarve down near Jerez. And so we used to do stuff at the end of October. That won't be the worst trip, think, will it? No, I mean, you know, if you can't go to North Africa, um, you know, there was a lot of talk of trying to do something in Marrakesh as well, but I don't think that's going to happen. But basically, if you can get the trucks and you can get the trucks to go to Mugello, which is quite far south, um, you get the trucks to go to Portimao. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there was another Spanish uh, circuit being looked at as well. I don't think there are any. I mean, Valencia street circuit ain't going to happen ever again. But Valencia, I don't know, whatever. But if if they're struggling to get races, they need to get to 15 to get the bills paid. And... Um, you know, obviously they want to do 15 easy races. So Sochi won't necessarily be easy because that's that's it. fly everything in. It's not trucking it. And therefore it's instantly more difficult. Yeah. Um, and Russia is a little bit unclear as to um, certainly some bad outbreaks in certain cities. And the, the, the problem with Sochi is you have to fly there through other cities. The other one to watch out for, I think, would be Istanbul because that's sufficiently east ish and southish to be possible quite late in the year well Istanbul then, whoa, whoa whoa we can't we can't let that fly by I think like universally that is probably the most asked for returning track you don't get my hopes up is that is that is that even no, being no, considered? It's, it's been discussed it has been discussed yeah um the only question is whether they can reach a financial agreement with the locals um oh. just for a one-off you know it, it, it's um the only the downside of that again is the same thing a remoteness issue yeah um <clears throat> but you know if you're talking to if you're talking about a formula 1 core of people which is less than a thousand okay that's still some big hotels but it's not it's not really it's not like having another 3 or 400 press men or double the number of tv people or Know, the teams are, are being cut down to the absolute minimum and bunches of VIPs and all these things that aren't happening at the closed races. But I do think there'll be closed races uh, probably for most of the year. Uh, and I think we'll end up in Bahrain and, and Abu Dhabi in December. Um, and I think those are fairly sensible. Now, whether we have two, one, two, three or four races probably depends on how many races they've got to in terms of the numbers. Okay, so we're getting awfully close to the start of the calendar season. Surely at some point, are they going to cut it off and go, nope, that's all we've got? Or is it going to be no, quite well, they, fluid? They, they, they need to come up with a number. of Because the thing is, teams get paid based on the results. And the finances come based on the number of races. So if you have, let's just say we get to 15, that's 33% less than 22, something like that. And my math is never very good. But that fundamentally means that if everybody is paying full whack, which they won't be, but if everyone is paying full whack on the contracts, um, the revenues are going to be down 33% for the, for the average team. Now, there is no such thing as an average team, but an average team. And then if you look at the numbers, there's a billion dollars last year were paid out to the teams. That's 10 teams. So the average, it's not 
real, but the average is 100 million being paid out per team. doesn't work like that. But basically, if you lose 30% of that, you're talking about teams losing 30 million. Now, it will be different, but a, a small team losing 30 million. Um, Ferrari, for example, they get uh, a certain percentage off the top of all revenue, so they're going to lose 30%. Uh, whereas Mercedes get a lump sum uh, for winning lots of championships every year. And that's a lump sum. That's not a percentage. So they're going to suffer less on the one hand. Um, and obviously they're, yeah, they're going to suffer. You know, the percentages, basically most of the prize fund is done on percentages, but they have these odd little deals where you know, Williams gets 10 million being historically important or whatever. And this is all the stuff they're trying to get rid of in the new Concord agreement and just make it more balanced. Um, and obviously it's difficult. But basically, we're looking at teams losing 30 million, and which is why there's a lot of panic going on among teams, because they're also going to lose sponsorship revenues as well um, to the same kind of level. So, but, but 15 is where the contracts all kick in and become valid. If, if, if you don't get to 15, the validity of the contract, I think, changes, and then it just becomes a mess. But, um, you know, otherwise, they're going to be rebates. So... You know, the TV companies will want their money back. If they pay for the full season, they'll want their money back on a pro rata basis of what they're actually going to be getting. So, And the, the other thing to bear in mind is that the economic impact of COVID is being felt already. Um, and a lot of people think that the money will only be impacting next year. That's not true. Um, the people, the teams know the percentages of what they won last year, what they don't know this year is the total amount of money that's coming in. Got it. And what they do, apparently, is Formula One makes an estimate of what it's going to earn and it gives the team uh, a sort of note sort of saying, you're going to get X percent of this and this is the number we think it will be. Now, in the past, apparently, that's been generally under what teams have got. But this year, they don't know. And as the, because they don't know what the overall number is, teams don't know what their budget is. And therefore, you've heard uh, Gunter Steiner, for example, saying, I can't do any development work because I don't know if I'm going to have the money. That's why. Yeah. So basically, big teams can afford to develop their cars. Small teams can't um, based on the risk factors involved. So, uh, But if you don't know what your revenue stream is, it's quite difficult. And the other thing is people who say, well, you should just cancel the whole thing and put all the contracts back a year. No. Great idea, except for one thing, which is that teams have got to pay staff for a year and that's and fixed costs, you know, all the rest of it. So basically, they can't afford not to go racing. So, um, you know, the idea of just pushing all the contracts back a year and making it contractually easier is, I understand uh, rich people might say that, but um, it's not actually reality. I have to excuse me for a minute because I've got a sign saying low battery. And if that goes out, you won't get any show anymore. A low battery on your laptop, Joe. Yes, I just Oh, dear. The seven S's, prior planning and preparation prevents poor performance, yes, Joe. But I'm, I'm not a professional broadcaster <laughs> like your good self. So there you are. I now have a little green light and everyone's happy. So oh, we good. We're, we're, we're all go. We're all go then. And you, um, can cut, you can edit that bit out of the, of the finished show. No, no, I like people to, to know what I have to deal with on a monthly basis, Joe. Um, I have to <laughs> okay, say, I, I hope your background noise doesn't get edited out too much in post because you've got some lovely bird song in the garden. Well, I, I live in the country. 
I live in a very nice countrified place and um, it's very green today. It's lovely, uh, which is, it's been bad for the last couple of weeks, but we had a really super time. I've had a great time in the lockdown because I have enough land not to go bonkers. Um, I've got plenty to do in the garden and I've developed all kinds of other strange habits like book binding and, you know, stuff. So yeah, it's interesting times, but I don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the year, but fundamentally, um, I think the 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 unbroken run um, is going to end after Hungary. I've got a solution for that, Joe. Um, I am going to, from now on, I'm going to change that to a man who has been to every non-COVID Grand Prix since 1988. <laughs> so I've got you covered. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, basically, it is beyond my control whether I can go. If I can go, I will go. Um, it's as simple as that. If they say you cannot go, and I got a thing from the FIA the other day saying. By agreeing to do this, you do understand that you are also agreeing that you will not necessarily be allowed to go to races after the first three. So um, it's very clear. Uh, you know, people say, well, why are you bother going at all? And there are two reasons for that. One is because that's my job. Second of all, to be quite honest, there's some PR value being one of the first 10 going sure. into, oh, the, of into course. the race. Yeah, very prestigious. Um, and um, and also you can, from the press room in Austria, you can take lots of good pictures and the photographers are struggling too because there's only, I believe, 10 photographers who are going to be allowed in. And they are going to be embedded in the teams. In other words, each team basically has their own photographer. Um, and so they're going to be in the paddock and around, but they will be restricted a little bit on what they can do. So photography is going to be interesting to see what comes out. Um, uh, in these closed races but um the other thing is you know there's hospitality and all these sort of things forget it ain't gonna be there i mean the teams will get fed by somebody uh, i think they'll have their own people feeding them but it won't you know, the motor homes won't be there um the whole thing is going to be very different so um it'll be interesting to see and you know that's why they invented the iphone you know everyone's a photographer these days so you can expect to see lots of photographs from iphones and i've seen that from nascar in nascar they had when they restarted nascar i think had four reporters only on site um and it is going up in number now i think um although they are taking lots of risks at the moment like they know the other day they moved a race from charlotte uh in north carolina to tennessee on the basis that um, the COVID numbers were rising in Charlotte. So talk about dodging bullets. I mean, Jeez. I think it's I think it's very risky what they're doing. Um, they've had a couple of they've actually had three team members uh, in different two two different teams have tested positive, but they're not actually going to the races. Um, what they've done at the races is they do these tests and they turn people away. And then when you say, "Well, why have you turned them away?" Uh, they say, "Well, it's not up to us to say whether they have COVID." Um, it, it's up to them. It's a personal thing. In other words, they don't have to admit that anybody's had COVID, but if they have the, 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 the symptoms, they can turn people away and that's what they have been doing. So there's a lot of politics um, in that though, isn't there? I mean, do you remember oh, when, you know, Rosberg's, a lot of politics. Rosberg's sticky substances on his steering wheel column and Lewis Hamilton's Malaysia engine blow up. Now, now all you have to do is, you know, get them hot and bothered. You just get your competitor hot and bothered. They'll get turned away from the trap. Honey traps everywhere, Joe. That's what it's well, going to be. Think, I don't think that, well, from what I understand, and I've read this 14-page document endlessly from the FIA about the rules, um, the media aren't going to have health checks, I think, in the same way that the others are going to. 
there are two levels of um, citizen in Formula One nowadays. There is the level one citizen who's allowed in the paddock and level two who isn't. And uh, the media are level two, so um, or at least the written media are level two. Um, but we'll see. I don't know how it's going to work out. But but fundamentally, um, it's going to be... Uh, I have no idea who the other people um, from the written press are, by the way. No no clue. Oh, really? Interesting to see when we get there. <laughs> no, I mean, nobody, there hasn't been a sort of list published. I've just heard rumours about who it might be. Um, and um, and I know also people have you know who were invited to go to the first race said actually no I don't want to do that I'd rather go to Silverstone um, so basically have requested to be in the second group as opposed to the first group so there's a certain amount of um, pushing and shoving involved but I just figured well I'll go to the first lot and if the unbroken run you know if if things change the unbroken run can continue in which case I will probably definitely be the only one out there with a long number of races to his name. Um, Because there are some others who have been around almost as long as me. Or actually, I think there's one. um, In fact, there definitely is one who's got a longer unbroken run than me. There is? Who's that? Or or, if you don't want to say that. My business partner. My business Ah. partner, Mr. David Tremaine, who has three races more than me, I think, and his unbroken run, which means that we will end up being equal if all things COVID happen. Anyway, who knows? That's quite a nice way to finish off business partners ending up with the same number. Um, because for years he's always gone well i've been to more races than <laughs> so, um, oh, that's brilliant but uh yeah i don't know i think everybody else is the last sort of stragglers that uh, bob Constantoros had done it endless numbers he probably still has the outright record uh, but nobody sort of cares about this stuff really stephen t the photographer huge numbers uh but they both miss races in the last couple of years for various you know there's always weddings funerals whatever things things happen or I think in the case of Stephen, it was financial incentive to be somewhere else, which if I remember correctly, was the Indy 500 with McLaren. So, um, you know, there are, nobody really cares who's been around and who's done the longest run. It doesn't really matter. Um, But it is something that, you know, people like to hear. Well, like Um, um, in the chat room, a random guy, good YouTube name, uh, said that Joe was showing his flex. And I think both in in the ways of your unbroken streak, the prestige of being one of the only 10 uh, written media there, and, uh, you know, uh, talking about your, your grounds. I think when your garden's that big, I think we, it's not a garden anymore, it's grounds. But yeah, there's a certain... <laughs> no, no, believe me, it's, it, it's just a garden. It, just, it, looks, it looks good. There are, there are um, wild hippos an, in Joe's garden. It's not an estate. We, do, we did have a deer the other day who popped in to say hi. Um, but, uh, no, it's, you know, we can, can't quite spit to the end of the garden, but, you know, um, <laughs> you can race there. Well, uh, let me think, who would it be? Ben, uh, who's the fastest bloke around at the moment racing sprint wise? Uh, Usain Bolt. <laughs> I, might, I might be out of date. Usain Bolt. That's the one. Yeah. Usain Bolt. He'd probably be there in about, um, oh, I think he'd get to the end of the garden in about 9.2 seconds or something, you know. Fair enough. Looks vast. It must have I been can't, I can't do it in 9.2 seconds, but there you are. He then he would not be able to slow down before falling in the pond. However, um, it's a lake. Be ugly. It's a lake. It's don't not don't. A, it's not a lake. It's, it's a, a pond. Joe, Joe, Joe um, I want to scroll back to a couple of things you said very early on because we had chat room comments. Um, Daniel uh, picked up on you saying about uh, you know you you shouldn't be uh, consorting with the wrong people in between races. Now, does this mm. mean that they're asking you to kind of quarantine yourself, or as Daniel suggests? Does that mean you can't talk to me in between races because I'm the wrong sort of person? No, no, no. It means it means that uh, what they want you to do and what you commit to doing, you have to sign. It's like a legal contract. You commit to 
um, basically not mixing with other groups in the period. So in, when I'm in Austria for eight days, there will be the first race and then the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there will yeah. be a period when you could logically mix with all the Formula One people who are all stuck in the same uh, area doing nothing. But they're asking you not to. Right. And they're asking you not to because everybody's being asked, I mean, in fact, being told effectively because we're all signing these kind of bits of paper saying that we will not do that. So they will all mix with themselves. They will stay in hotels and have parties and whatever, but they won't mix with each other. And they won't mix with us. Um, and if they do mix with us, uh, they're doing it wrong because what we're trying to avoid is people catching things. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's our duty to respect the rules. Um, I think it's more of a duty to respect the rules and, you know, thinking we can get a great story out of sneaking in and trying to talk to Toto Wolf or whatever. <laughs> I think yeah. that, you know, no, but the, believe me, there are people who well, are going to try, try stuff like yeah. that probably. But I think that we have a, we have an obligation. In fact, we have a legal obligation. Now we've signed the contracts not to do that. So if, if that was to happen, yeah. um, we could be answerable for the damage it causes you know which could be a lot of money actually if you know formula one um if covid starts to sort of take off in the formula one world and it's because some journalist decided <laughs> to go and have a chat with somebody um there would be financial implications which would probably put the journalist out of business i would think because most journalists can't afford to dip into their pocket and come up with 100 million to replace the money it went missing you know uh, daniel would like to thank you for answering your question seriously when all he was trying to do was insinuate that i'm a wrong one wrong one. yes yes daniel yes we got that thank you very much um now this is this might sound but like as, an insult as i will not be seeing spanners <laughs> in real life the only virus i can give him is virtual so <sighs> oh dear that was that was quite frightening to see on the video um joe uh this might sound like an insult initially it's not meant to be um but your your technique for getting stories we see you lurking in the back of sky uh, backgrounds you, you kind of not ambush but you yeah you do you're like a stalker you you ambush your prey and catch people in down moments and comfortable moments use your existing relationships to to get them uh so you've got kind of a plus and a minus there yes you won't be able to wander around grabbing people so that's going to be a significant hurdle but as one of the 10 print media people you are going to become quite a focus for f1 news despite the limited access yeah, I think that's true. I don't think, you know, I think the idea that we're all going to be scooping one another, if we can do it on telephones, maybe. But no, I can't, you know, I operate by chatting with people in the paddock, you know, often, you know, behind the motorhomes, you know, in between the trucks, um, have little conversations that you learn stuff. And uh, and I can't do that. So that is, a obviously, that's a bit of a uh, a handicap for the way I do things. But, you know, that is... It's becoming more and more difficult to do that over time because gradually the, the great PR machines are taking everybody and squeezing out that kind of thing. They really don't like me doing it. They don't like me going and having sort of snap interviews with people. <laughs> they, they, you know, um, and in fact, they're training their own staff now to, oh, you can't no. talk to journalists without us. Um, and, you know, it, it, this whole level of control, I understand to some extent why it happens, but I think it is... Uh, a negative thing because everything sounds the same when they all start. Um, you know, someone's making telephoning me. Can you believe who would be interrupting you during Inside F One with Joe Saywood? Unbelievable. Well, somebody was. Anyway, they'll probably keep trying, knowing my luck. Anyway, there we are. Um, it might be a breaking news story. If it's Toto, I don't mind. Answer it. We'll leave <laughs> the stream running. It'll be okay. 
I, I shall send a message saying stop doing it, <laughs> um, and that way it will be, um, it will be best because otherwise I'm sure they'll just keep trying. Let me um, let me let me just say this. Let me do this. Let me ask you a question from Mike Stoner, who dropped in a fiver in our super chat. Thank you very thank you very much. Uh, I'll split that with you, Joe. We can have half a pint each. Uh, okay, uh, Mike is basically wants to know what is next for what is next for Vettel. Has there been any movement in that? And I think it's it's something on uh, a lot of people's minds. Vettel is a very popular driver, four time world champion, currently sitting there without a without a contract. It's going to be one of the biggest kind of burning, sitting, red hot, smouldering news stories of 2020 until we find something out. Well, I think Vettel will do nothing until we find out what Lewis Hamilton's doing. And that's fairly obvious. Uh, I think that Mercedes um, aren't overly interested in trying to put Vettel alongside Lewis. but And it's highly unlikely that Lewis is going to um, retire. But, you know, you never know. Um, things can happen. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just sit around and wait until quite late on to see that nothing happens to Lewis um, because everyone else is going to wait for Vettel if there's anybody waiting for him. Renault may be waiting for him. Um, he may be waiting to sign for Renault. Renault might say to him, look, actually, we want to get this sorted out. But Renault have already said they haven't even discussed it with him yet. Um, and I don't see anywhere else for him to go, really. So unless he wants to sit out a year, which is never a good idea, um, unless you're going into a team that you know. I remember Alain Prost did it a long, long time ago, I think. Am I getting myself confused here? Yes, he did. He sat out a year and then came back and won the World Championship. Uh, but it was only because he was going into a Williams at a time when Williams was virtually unbeatable. So most people who take a year out and come back uh, are not as good. Nicky Lauda did it too, but that was slightly different. Um, he retired and then came back and took a while to win the second and third championships. Um, so basically it is, uh, you know, these are things we don't really know the answers to. And I don't see any reason really in people talking, you know, you can have a chat with Renault and say, well, you know, what are your intentions, etc. But are they actually going to sign anything? I don't think so. And that means that clogs the market up because obviously the market is based on <coughs> the market is based on um like the domino effect as it yeah. goes down through the best drives. So if there's a snag in the domino, the domino stops until that snag is sorted out. And then quite often when the market moves again, there'll be a lot of stuff that's been put in place. It all happens at the same time, which is what happened when with the Vettel leaving Ferrari thing. We saw two moves very quickly, uh, but they had already been put in place some time before. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If I put my, my Vettel fan hat on, I'm not a Vettel fan. I've got great respect for him, though, and, uh, and I wish him well. He seems like a really nice bloke, to be fair, uh, a funny guy, uh, clearly a talented driver. My fear for him, uh, I mean, we looked at Daniel Ricciardo speaking out recently and saying he was scared that if he didn't take this McLaren deal now, Maybe it wasn't there. Maybe it wasn't there at the end of 2020. I worry for Vettel if he is clearly now, in the eyes of Ferrari, the number two driver, or not at least not the long-term option, that his stock can only go down in 2020 if he starts getting Massa Barrichello-type treatment at the hands of Charles Leclerc, and then suddenly, you know, no one wants him at the end of 2020. So part of me is a Vettel, my, my Vettel fan hat, my fake Vettel fan hat, says, I hope he signs a contract now, just get it done. I, I think that Vettel is um, like all these guys; they're all hyper competitive. So he's not going to underperform in 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 the extent to which um, you know people. Very rarely do people go off the boil um, unless they know they're retiring. That happens when people are retiring. If Vettel goes off the boil, um, we might be able to look at it and say he's going to retire at the end of the year. But if he wants to have a drive, he's got to prove that he's still worth it. But he, in his own mind, it, it will be proving I'm Vettel. They've got this wrong at Ferrari. You know, I am the great Vettel. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to beat Charles bloody Leclerc. You know, he might be the, the, the new young he's kid. He's 12. I can beat him. Exactly. He's just left school. And, you know, basically I can beat him. So, you know, these are the kind of thought processes that go on with racing drivers. And it's very, you know, normal people are not like racing drivers. They don't think in the same way. It's like, you know, you don't think, well, there's no point in trying because, you know, they're, they're getting rid of me. Why would I help them? <clears throat> That's, that doesn't happen in Formula One very often. Um, because, you know, they're just very, very competitive. And they know you're only as good as your last result. So Vettel knows that he is looking at, a future of no Formula One career if he doesn't do a decent job. And if you look around the market of motorsport, we are going into the post-COVID economic environment as well. There will not be a lot out there paying a decent amount of money for anybody. Um, so, you know, a factory drive with a factory team, sorry, I'll say that again, a factory 
drive in sports car racing like you know mark weber jumped off and went, went to become a porsche star for a few yeah. years alonso's effectively done the same thing um that those kind of deals are going to be very thin on the ground i think and i think that you know if you want to be a top line racing driver earning good quids not that not that vettel needs to you know he's made enough money in his career to live happily ever after 12 times over but that's not the point the point is, what is he going to do? Because these guys also, a lot of them, have no clue what they want to do in life beyond being what they are. In that respect, Lewis is a bit different because he's yeah. developed career plans. Most people, in most racing drivers in Formula 1, don't have that kind of um, organization. They're just so focused on doing what they're doing. They don't think about, you know, they leave it to managers to do things and you know, sometimes managers will set things up and the driver will go, actually, I don't really want to do that. You know, now I think about it. Because um, they don't care. Their, their, their sole purpose is to win Formula One races uh, and to make lots of money. And But they get bored. If, it's, you know, if they're there just spending money, they get bored. And some of them go quite bonkers in lots of respect. Hello. Hopefully that's not that? uh, okay. So full full disclosure there, like awkward silence. I could I could just brush past it, but I'm just getting used to my new aircon system in the in the shed show, uh, where when you're talking and thankfully you you mm-hmm. have a lot to say, I can cool the temperature of the shed down. It did come at a terrible price. My wife made me sell my golf clubs to finance it. Ooh, curse that lady. But oh, in that situation, I couldn't find go. the off button. I couldn't find the off button, so uh, so you got a nice. I was blast wondering what you were up to, yeah. Uh, yeah but at least I'm cool as a cucumber. Uh, well, that was that is definitely a, a situation that isn't going to go away. People aren't going to stop asking us uh, about Vettel, and what I want to see is a happy Vettel uh, because he seems to be at his best when he's a happy, chirpy Vettel. But you know, you can't really imagine him in the Alonso and Jensen button back of the grid playfully kind of jumping up on the podium being self-effacing i just i just don't see him quite in that role and just going yeah whatever i'm at the back you know not that those guys were happy about it but i just can't see i, no, I see guys, it all I or mean, nothing if you're in a if you're in a car that will not do the job which was the case for button and alonso you really have no choice you can be a grumpy bastard or you can just be positive and laugh it off um, and make it clear that there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and that really is, in Formula One, you, know, you can say pretty clearly that there's only X number of teams that can win at the moment. So two rules. One is you don't give up one of those drives unless you have to. And, and the second one is if you can't win races, um, you know, people will understand. So you, know, you can be a little bit more human. Um, there's no absolutely no point in being grumpy about it, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's life, isn't it? Can we talk TV? Since we're on the German theme, mm-hmm. can you uh, clear mm-hmm. up some of this stuff? I'll tell you what, we've got a couple of questions. I'll just spit the, the questions out from these two people on, on the Twitters. Uh, Joe is at Joe Saywood on Twitter. Uh, we are at Missed Apex F1. And if I may be so bold, uh, I am at Spanners Ready. I love getting followers. I like Twitter. I do things. Talk about F1. Uh, share stuff about my family. You can see a hilarious video of me walking our family cat because that's something apparently we do at Spanners Ready. Here are the questions, though, for you, Joe. Kadar says, with one or zero German drivers left from Germany, is the exclusive pay TV deal, uh, meaning that Mick Schumacher 
may never get that F1 seat. So that's Mick Schumacher. And Stephen G says, what are your thoughts about the German Sky TV deal? What does it tell you about the state of F1 in Germany? And how do you think this will change the engagement of F1s in Germany with the sport? Didn't F1 lose many fans in Britain after their Sky deal? So what, what's changed? Yes. What, what is happening first? Because I don't, I don't actually know. Well, basically what's happened is that RTL, which is a free-to-air broadcaster, has said, that's it, we're not paying the fees anymore because we want to put the money into football, which is more popular. Why is it more popular? It's more popular because uh, despite having Vettel uh, in a Ferrari in recent years and Mercedes winning things, Germany hasn't been able to fund a Grand Prix. And nobody, the reality is that nobody has ever replaced Michael Schumacher in the eyes of the German fans. German fans were fans of Schumacher and there were very interesting and complicated social um, connections between Schumacher and his fans to do with, you know, where he came from, the time he rose up to fame, uh, the unified Germany. He he embodied the unified Germany, um, which is a very important thing. Vettel never managed to uh, inspire the fans in that way. Nico Rosberg, who on paper was German, of course they went, well, what's got to do with Germany, really? Um, Nico Hülkenberg lived too close to the Dutch border, wasn't really, um, you know, there are all these silly things. Ooh, they're well, very picky. Get, uh, very picky, they're not. Well, they, they're... maybe, but, you know, the fact is that they all remember the great, the, the great Shumi. thing is, you know, as, as Brits, um, we're, we're far less picky. It's like, oh, he visited Britain once. Yep, yep, he's ours. We'll claim him. We, we take them all. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that, but basically, um, you know, that's what's happened in Germany. And I, I, the one I don't understand is the Mercedes thing. I just don't understand why they're not excited about Mercedes. Okay, the team is a British team with a Mercedes label slapped on it, but um, and the engines are made in Britain. But nonetheless, it is still a German company, um, and they just don't seem to be interested in it. So... Anyway, whatever, the, the outcome of that is that um, they don't want to pay the money that Formula One wants for the rights. Sky Germany, it's quite complicated in, in, in the German TV market because there, there have been three different broadcasters in recent years. RTL's yeah. the big free-to-air one. And there have been two, I think it's two pay television ones or one pay television and another free-to-air. I'm not quite sure. Can't remember the details. But basically, there are three companies, and they had different restrictions on it, a bit like Channel 4 um, and Sky in Britain, but with more restrictions. So what's happened is that Sky Sky Germany is going to take over. I don't know if it's the whole thing or if uh, the third broadcaster will be in or yeah. out, but fundamentally, it's going to be like a deal, and it will be big money because you know Sky can pay big money because they have the subscribers. It does mean that the number of overall viewers will drop, but it also means that the amount of money will increase. So, um, and there's a balancing act on all of this um, with the over the top, the OTT Formula One channel, which they're trying to promote, um, which will ultimately, um, in theory, at least damage pay TV channels. It'll take out the middleman, you know, going directly to the punters. So I don't know. We'll see. But that's basically what's happening. It will have an impact on the number of eyeballs 
that happen in with Formula One. No question about it. But it will improve the balance sheet. And let's face it, what are they in it for? Are they in it for love or are they in it for money? Well, I'm, I'm pers- just from a personal point of view. When, like it, comes to liber- when oh. it comes to Liberty Media, they're in it for money, believe me. <laughs> they might, they might yeah. like Formula One, but they're not in it you know, to, for the love of the sport and to make everyone want to watch Formula One because they like it. They're in it to make money. So uh, we have to accept that. We have to accept um, that you know they are better than the previous lot. CVC Capital Partners, a bunch of vultures who just picked the bone, you know, picked the flesh off what was left of Formula One's bones for years on end. Joe Sayward's opinions every... do not represent the wider mistake. Something, something, lawyers, please help. Yes, no, you don't need to because this is all true. And in the court of <laughs> okay. law, you cannot cannot fight the truth. CVC Capital Partners were basically just they they were milking the the the, the cash cow until it basically ran out of milk, and and then they flogged it. So. You know, and and I happen to think it's a personal opinion. This, so I can say this as well. A graceless bunch they were too. <laughs> okay. So you know, um, that's just me. I happen to be a Formula One fan, and sure. they probably understand that I don't like what they did. But they are they are um, private equity people, and they all live in big castles, and that's what they do. That's what they're supposed to do. So. They'll think, well, we just did a good job in this bloke. It's one of those silly anorak nerd types. And I think they're a bunch of vultures um, who did damage to the sport. And that's just an inevitability um, of the way different philosophies work, I suppose. So none of that's legally troublesome anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I get very upset about this and, and the, the Sky deal last year as well. I, I think back to my own childhood. I was a sports mad kid. Uh, but we were a low-income family, and I genuinely felt like all those sports were being stolen from me, from Sky, and then suddenly you were lucky just to get, you know, highlights of boxing or cricket or anything but, like but that. If you, but if you take a step back and take the passion out of it and you look at it from a business point of view, they didn't, they didn't throw open the stadiums if you wanted to go and watch a football game. You had true, to pay. True. And it, it's kind of logical that you should pay for coverage of something because you know, once you get to a point at which they can only earn so much money from the number of eyeballs, there have to be other ways of doing it. And um, so while I fully understand, and there is a generation of people in Britain particularly who think that pay television is is, is the end of civilization as they know it and, it, and it is. But the fact is that Britain is unusual. Lots of other societies are used to paying for their sport. America, you're used to paying for your sport. You want to watch it, you pay. You understand that. I'll just caveat that, you know, at the time my father was paying his licence fee. So we were paying for the sport. Yeah, no, no, you were paying for the sport, but the BBC had access at at the kind of numbers involved in those days and the licence fee and all the rest of it. Yes, you did have the licence fee, but you're still paying a licence fee now and you're not getting it, are you? So, you know... when all is said and done, the BBC could not afford to bid against Sky. They didn't have the money. So in the end, they had to, they cut deals with them for a while and, you know, managed to stay in the game. But there's a point at which you cannot compete against dollars. And that's what happened. I assumed, now, sorry. Is Joe. that right? Is that wrong? Um, uh, it's just life. You just have to accept it. And, you know, I fully understand why people are grumpy at, uh, in Britain because that's they're so used to it. And that's because the BBC did a great job. 
getting all the sport and televising it for next to nothing, you know, and, and providing everything for free. But in other societies, that was all paid for from quite early on. Yes. And I, I have to say, I assumed we would see a big dip in our in our podcast listening figures last season. In fact, we went from strength to strength. I think the hardcore of people who want to keep watching it will find a way or will pay. It's obviously the future generations. Is that, That's the big worry. Yeah, the future generations, um, they'll, they'll, they're used to paying for things. You know, they understand you have to pay for things. The thing is whether they will be excited by it. So our job, our role is to get them excited by it. And I think that's where the lockdown has been really good for the for motorsport is that everything has gone virtual and kids can relate to virtual. And I think that we've got a new generation of fans who will come to Formula One because of the virtual races. And I think, you know, I think we will, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a sort of a Jonah saying it's the end of civilization as we know it. Things change. That's the way it is. But we have to, we have to, you know, Bernie Eccleston is famous for saying he doesn't care about the kids because they don't buy Rolexes. <laughs> that, that was such a short-sighted view. And it wasn't the right view at all. You've got to look to the future. You've got to nurture your future fans. Otherwise, your business is going to die because your, your viewership will die. It's just called, you know, um, <laughs> it's called age. You know, you yeah. get to a certain point and you die. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's where it is. But if you're a 55-year-old executive uh, hedge fund manager, you don't necessarily care about, you know, you know, in 20 years' time. So a lot of that stems from there. Uh, just to wrap this up in a, a bow and, and go back to uh, Kadar's question, does this affect the next generation of Schumachers? There's two, Mick and David. Uh, they presumably I, well, will. Well, we'll have to see if either one of them is good enough, to be quite honest. And that is... It's all very well wanting to have a uh, another famous name coming in. But that famous name's got to be able to compete at a sensible level. You can't just have some bloke trolling around at the back because his dad was somebody famous. You just can't have it. Um, and I know you have some views perhaps about the Stroll family or whatever, you know. But the fact is that no matter no matter which way you cut it, Lance Stroll still still been on two podiums, and that tells you that he's good enough in certain days to be there. So um, we have to see what Mick can do. He was very disappointing, I thought, in Formula Two last year. Um, much less <clears throat> much less uh, impressive than uh, Guang Yu Zhu, for example, or Joe, as we're supposed to call. Um, the Renault <laughs> young driver from China. Yes. <clears throat> I think he did a terrific job as a new boy um, last year. And, you know, we have to see who is good enough. And it, it's like all these, all these things about, you know, everybody wants to be, live in an egalitarian world. But in order to live in an egalitarian world, you have to accept that um, talent is what decides matters. And ultimately, if you want to have a woman Formula One driver, you've got to have someone with talent to be there, to deserve it. If you, if you want to have um, drivers from different countries or different races, they've got to be good enough to be there. I'd love, Formula One would love to have a Chinese driver. Formula One would love to have a, a female driver. But until we get a good one, you can't just promote people because they happen to be what you're looking for. They've got to... They've got to have the talent to do the job. 
And so, and, and, and we've seen it endlessly trying to promote people who don't have sufficient talent to be there. They last a couple of years and they disappear. So and if you look back in time, you'll see lots of drivers from countries who were really keen to have a Formula One driver. But if they weren't good enough, they, the, the, that, that driver went away. And, you know, that's, that's the bottom line. So, you know, the, the people in Formula One really are, really are, to a lesser or greater extent, the best drivers out there. So for my views on this topic, uh, listen back to Sunday's show about uh, an hour in. I shan't repeat myself at length. I think my, my views differ slightly to yours, Joe, and uh, reasonable people can, can disagree. Uh, but yes, your, your overall point is generally taken. Uh, but I might move it swiftly on to uh, some <coughs> questions about team news. Uh, we've had units uh, drop in. A tenor, Joe. That's you and me sitting in a beer garden having a, a full-on pint. Socially distant, of course. Thank you very much, Units. And uh, £5 attached to a question as well from John M. Very generous in the Super Chat today. A nice function from YouTube. I don't know what cut they take. Uh, so it might have to be like a, an off-brand beer. I don't know. Uh, John N. says, I've been a fan of the Silverstone team since the 7-Up Jordan. Do I need to worry for the future of all this with Stroll, Wolf um, and Aston Gossip? And I have to say, we've got another couple of questions um, on teams. In fact, let, let me just quickly get to them, Joe, because I think there's a general theme here of, you know, well, what so, the state... So should we do this one first and then move on to other teams? Yeah, afterwards? let's... let's do, you're right. Let's do that. I think Aston Martin's probably... Sorry, uh, whatever it's called this week, Racing Point, um, is probably one of the least um, uh, worrisome teams at the moment. Lawrence Stroll is a multimillionaire squillionaire, billionaire, whatever. He can afford to do what he wants to do. He's bought himself a car company. It's kind of logical. If you buy yourself a car company, there's a plan to promote it. The plan is very simple. It's the Ferrari plan, which is you use motorsport to do your PR and you don't bother paying for other things. So I think you'll stop seeing Aston Martin flash car adverts in, in, um, in car magazines and things like that. I think they'll probably be smart enough to keep up the link with James Bond because that's a that's a, that's a slam <laughs> that's dunk. That's a no-brainer. <clears throat> it is yeah. a no-brainer. So basically, I think that what they really need to do is therefore to be as competitive as possible in Formula One as quickly as possible. Now, if you're going to do that and you're going to be taken seriously, the first thing you need is not a, cu- a customer racing engine. You need your own engine. And so I think that Aston Martin will have its own Formula One engine at some point mm-hmm. in the not too distant future. Oh. And if I was a, if I was a, uh, well, it's, it's entirely logical. I don't know if you know this, but they have recently announced uh, in March, I think it was a V6 hybrid turbo engine for their road cars. Oh, well, Oh, that's a, a three liter. <laughs> now, if you're going to have a three liter V6 hybrid turbo, why not have one and a half as well? Yeah. Six, um, 1. And why not hire Andy, yeah. Andy Cowell, come to think of it. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, produce the best engine in Formula oh, One. Dear. What's the best way of doing it? It's all coming together. Got money. Well, it's not coming together, but there's logic in it somewhere. <laughs> um, and basically, Aston Martin using other people's engines, it's a bit like Alfa Romeo using Ferrari engines. It's just a waste of time. Alfa Romeo doesn't have the money to do anything else, but that whole Sauber thing is a complete waste of time. You're not selling Alfa Romeo cars as a result of it. You're not even you know, increasing the brand value of Alfa Romeo because everyone knows it's Sauber and everyone in the team calls it Sauber. I mean, you know, nobody even bothers with Alfa Romeo. So um, 
you know, if you're going to do it properly, do it properly. If you're going to do it half-assed, do it half-assed, and it won't work. So I think that we can expect to see um, things like that happening, which are not necessarily obvious at the moment. I mean, the engine formula runs till 2025, the end of, which means you've got, if you can produce an engine in a new engine in for 2022. Ooh, that's close. Or 2023, you've still got three years left on it. So it's got a value. Um, not only having your own engine, but it's a value of being competitive for three years before you have to change engines to a new formula. So uh, there is kind of logic if you can move quickly. Um, and I think that uh, I, th- I think that that's, I don't know, my, my gut feeling says that may be what we see. I may be wrong, but <laughs> I've been banging on about um, this kind of thing with Aston Martin, with Andy Palmer for, for years um, having conversations with Andy at races, going, you've got to get your own engine, Andy. It just doesn't make any sense to do otherwise. And, I, he, and, he, and he would admit it. I feel like you've just confirmed Cal to Aston Martin engines. That's what I feel like's just happened here. Well, I, 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 have, I have suggested it might, be, <laughs> it might be an explanation because I can't think of another explanation. So can because I... Andy, Andy comes from Northamptonshire. Actually, I'm not sure where he comes from originally, but he comes from England and he's an English bloke. And I can't see him moving to Italy. I can't see him moving to Paris. It's far away. Because there are certain cosmopolitan-type people who get, do, don't mind moving around and, and doing their job elsewhere, but they're not generally English because they don't generally speak other languages. So you know, when you have somebody who's clearly the best um, in his job in the world and he's leaving the best job in the world, you've got to say, well, where is he going? And there is only one choice because he's not, if he's not going to Paris and he's not going to Italy, he's certainly not going to Japan because they don't want foreigners anyway because they think it's, it's not in their philosophy. So the only thing he can be doing if he's staying in Formula One, and that's an interesting point, um, the only thing he can be doing is going to something we don't know about. And can I just give a shout out to those websites that like to quote Miss Apex podcast <laughs> stuff but not actually say where that information came from? Could you do the decent thing and just do a link back to this YouTube channel with the timestamp? So by all means, run it on your website. It's actually it's actually been out there already. <laughs> Has it? Ah, Joe. Uh, it, um, I ran it in my business newsletter on Sunday. But that's not, that's, that's not where they'll well, get it from, though. They'll get it from you saying ago. it here. Uh, actually, mon- Monday morning, it went out for the first time. But um, I saw it being quoted on a, on a, a website. I was quite surprised because um, websites are not supposed to quote from my Ooh, newsletter. Naughty. They'll definitely quote from this, though. I think most of, I think the ones I'm talking about. They can do. Yeah, they can do. Joe, then let's move on to those other teams because a serotonin starved brain on, that's a good Twitter handle, at Fatals Will I w- What I Will. Okay, cool. Uh, he's basically asking about the sale price of these teams that have been purporting to be. Uh, potentially for sale or looking for uh, investors. Now, off the top of your head, Joe, I think people are kind of just asking, you know, well, what sort of prices are we talking about? Is this bargain bucket stuff or is this F1 teams kind of hyping themselves up and trying to get you know, top dollar still by an F1 team if they are even for sale? I, I, I think that what it is, is the Formula One teams are in a bind. They're short of cash and they're looking for ways to raise cash without losing control that's what they want 
Now, Williams is in more difficulty than most because it, the Williams family only controls 52%. So to retain control, they can only sell 2%. Oof. Having said that, having said that, you can, you can increase the share capital. Um, you can do, you can buy out somebody else and increase the share capital and still say in control. But basically, I think what they're doing is they, they, they've just said to merchant banks or investment banks, whatever you want to call them, go and see what's available, who will pay what, and we'll see what we do after that. And I think that's true in the case of Williams. And I think that's true in the case of McLaren. They both have problems that they need to solve, but it doesn't mean that there's a sort of, you know, um, rushing to to a sale fire sale kind of thing you know there's there's plenty of money invested in mclaren there's plenty of money invested in williams and they're not just going to go and give it away to the to the nearest um multi-squillionaire now it may be that they'll do a deal just imagine um williams uh we have we have a canadian billionaire who who has loaned them some money Okay. He's got money coming out of his ears. Okay, his <laughs> son drives for Williams. He's a shareholder in McLaren, minor point. But um, maybe he'd like to be a bigger shareholder in Williams, but on the basis that he would agree when becoming a bigger shareholder in Williams to always vote with the Williams family. So, you know, you can have situations uh... where you can you can give away, and Bernie did this up to a point. You, know, you can give away control. And what happened with Bernie is he gave away control, but kept control because of shareholder agreement until the Kirsch empire went bankrupt, in which case he lost control of what he was previously in control of. And that is where all the problems started in Formula One. So you can do this stuff um, and you can go down to, you know, quite small percentages. Ron Dennis um, and McLaren and Mansour Oje were in a situation where they were in minority shareholdings, but they had a shareholders agreement to work together until the day they didn't um which is why mclaren began to sort of go off the ball and all went a bit crazy because the the shareholders did not agree so you know we we need to look at those kind of things but is anybody actually for sale the other point is do you really want to buy a formula one team and i don't mean yes yes everybody you know more than anything hang on hang on you want to buy a ticket to be part of the game but do you want everything else that Formula One teams have? Because you're going into another age now with budget capping and restrictions. You don't want two wind tunnels anymore. You don't want all the staff you've got. You want to lose some of them. You actually want to, and also with all the technical things, you don't need the departments that they have. You don't need the massive factories. So, a lot of people who are thinking about coming into Formula One, and there aren't a lot out there who are seriously doing it, but there are some, and they are thinking, well, we don't really want to buy teams. Because look at Haas. Look what Haas has done. Haas has, has not really got the same kind of infrastructure um, as, as everybody else. They've bought what they need to be a Formula One team and no more. And so why would you buy one of these big old, um, you could always call them white elephant teams, um, because it's got a lot of stuff you don't want. So you need to balance these things up. Um, and what is the value? The value is in what agreements that they've signed. Well, right now, there are no commercial agreements in Formula One for the future. So um, I'd say that the teams have very little value 
until the Concord Agreement is signed, which is due to happen between now and December the 31st, on paper, there's not a lot of value in them because they're not, they haven't got an entry beyond the end of this year. That's a very good point. And I guess, so if someone did swoop in, there's no guarantee that they could even race. Well, logically, uh, if somebody came in and bought a team a la Stroll situation, they would negotiate a similar deal to what the previous owner had had. But that's only in a, you know, in a theoretical world. We're living in a COVID world now. And who knows? Who knows what will happen? And there is no commercial agreement. So therefore, it's, you know, if you have a lawyer or a risk assessor, they will say, well, hang on a minute, where's the bit of paper that proves that this thing has a value? And the answer is, there isn't one right now. So, you know, you need to think these things through because big purchases are generally not made without input from risk assessors and all these other kind of people, lawyers, who say, well, hang on a minute, you know, this is worth nothing. So right now, um, they all need money and uh, to a lesser or greater extent. And, you know, and then we go from there. But uh, I, I think, you know, most of them can borrow more money. They have sufficient supporters. And the billionaires behind most of the, you know, most of the teams have at least a billionaire behind them. And whether the billionaire wants to spend his money is another matter. You know, does the man at Salva want to go on spending his own money? And the answer is probably not. But then again, there's the ego that gets in the way as well. Like, do I want to seem to fail? No, I don't. So, you know, you, you, the, you, people get into these, get stuck in these traps. But when you're at a certain level, there's no point at which, a la Malia, you run out of money completely and then you're screwed and everybody's screwed. Um, because you can't just go on living on the never, never forever. So thank you very much for your time, Joe Saywood. Uh, we have run over an hour here. I have an appointment with the Remain Indoors podcast with Matt and Alex Van Jean. And Joe Saywood has to go tend his grounds, instruct people to tend his grounds, go pheasant shooting, all those kind of countryside Earl like activities, Joe. Yeah, yeah I, with my wrist, I'm going to be uh, really good at shooting. That's a good point. You'll have to have your butler. Actually, You'll have to have the butler shoot for you. I, I actually don't believe in shooting things. In fact, um, I'm very much against it. Oh, so there you are. Well, there you go, Joe. There you go. Oh, you are going to be going to, uh, to uh, the F1 circus. You're going to be one of the coveted 10 written press people. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't get hold of you. We have some tentative plans to try and speak to you at some point via the internet. So I, I think we'll attempt something like that, Joe. What are you thinking? Yes, absolutely. The only the only factor that will influence that is the ability of Austrian internet mm -hmm. to work properly. But I will take this with me in my yes. automobile. He's pointing to the Yeti. and um, and uh, <laughs> I will take a little camerary thing if necessary. And so, if it works, it works. We did one a few years ago. I tried to do one from a hotel in Italy, and it was a complete disaster. It didn't quite because work, the internet no. the internet was rubbish. But uh, we'll see. Um, maybe I can do something from. Uh, actually, it's an interesting point. I suppose the um, the limits, the, uh, the broadcasting rules at Formula One will remain the same despite coronavirus. I wouldn't be able to do it from the press room necessarily, to, uh, which is daft because that, that would have the good enough internet to do it. If but, you don't um, ask, you don't you get. They might go, oh, it's all right. It's you, Joe. And that Spanish fella. We like him. We've heard of him. Don't and, be silly. Uh, there are lawyers at Formula fine. One. And lawyers at Formula One don't have a sense <laughs> of humor necessarily. I know some who have had. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, it's no sort of no, 
No. Oh, yes, if you pay us a lot of money. Anyway, there we are, enough of that. Well, maybe we've got enough with our Super Chat money. Hmm. Maybe maybe we'll have to look again. Thank you very much for your time. Go and find Joe at Joe Sayward. Uh, go to Flat Out Publishing to find his books. And uh, well, and w- w- what do we search for? Joe Blogs F1 for your regular blog. And that finds mm. out all the stuff about F1 and news and stuff. Yep. Good. There you go. You said, it, said it all. Good at plugging things. Subscribe to us at youtube.com forward slash Missed Apex podcast, I think. That's my worst outro ever. I choked. Wounds heal. Yeah, it, was Chicks- ru- it was rubbish. I got to tell you. It was I, I could do it again. Wounds heal. Chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. There you go. No one says I have to say it in a certain order. I pressed the button too quickly. That's where it went wrong. It's because it's too cool cool in here with the aircon. I'm super relaxed. Your brain has frozen. I'm like proper chill. I just feel like I'm on like, you know, you know, you know a Canary Islands hotel room. With my aircon running, about to attack the pool with a margarita. Mm, marvelous. Well, that sounds great. Um, <laughs> I must go. I'm, I must rush off to my estate then. So there. There is. we go. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> we'll catch up with you soon, Joe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.